Welcome everyone to this week's Somerset Emotional Wellbeing podcast on behalf of Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group. My name is Dr Andrew Trasida, working for the CCG, and I work with my colleague Peter Bagshaw, GP in Somerset and uh, Mental Health Clinical Lead for the CCG. And we're very pleased to have our guest today, Dr Rani Bora, who's a consultant psychiatrist with the Somerset Foundation Trust. Rani, welcome to you. Hi, Andrew. Thank you so much uh, for inviting me to this podcast. I was really looking forward to having a conversation with both you and Peter. Great. So our topic today is personality disorder, but that in a way sounds a sort of a... Because who of us is actually normal? What is normal? So perhaps over to, over to the experts. Um, Bonnie, what would you say? What would, what would you like to say first about this term? So um, it's, it's a term people struggle with, especially professionals. And sometimes you hear people say PD for short. And I would say that this is one of the labels in psychiatry that has got the stigma attached to it. Um, And I'm very conscious of that. So when someone, say, for example, we have a conversation about someone with a diagnosis, we are almost expecting there to be chaos, there to be trouble, there's a lot of problem. And and so it's really something to acknowledge right at the beginning that when someone has got a a diagnosis of personality disorder, they they might find it stigmatizing or not, but also it it, it, it is a um, label that comes with some uh, stigma attached, so to speak. Thank you, Rani. Peter? I'm really glad you've uh, raised that at the beginning, Rani, because it's certainly something I struggle with and a lot of my patients do. As you say, it is very stigmatising. Do you feel that relabeling it as complex trauma or emotional dysregulation or or some other label may be helpful to patients to come to terms with with the condition? Well, maybe, maybe not. I'm not sure because I know there are a lot of conversations going on about relabeling it. But the thing is, if we still, we, we, might, we might relabel it and call it something else. But we, if we still have very strong beliefs about what someone with personality disorder is, who they are and their behavior, then we might still have the same problem, even if you call it something else. So I guess that, that might be a first important step for sure. But I think it's also about educating ourselves and really going back to Andrew's point about what is normal? Why do people behave the way they behave Because what's happening when we label someone with personality disorder is we are basically labeling the symptoms. We are looking at the behavior and we we are making the behavior wrong. And of course, it goes against uh, maybe what is acceptable um, in society. And there's so many reasons why people behave the way they behave. But if you you think about the whole um, personality disorder um, label and diagnosis, we're looking at people's um, symptoms, people's presentation. We are, uh, we are also, uh, we know that we need to look at their thoughts and emotions, but which drives their behavior. And a lot of this is conditioning from a very early age. You know, we talk about this being uh, present before, the, before adolescence. And so uh, it is a lot of things about upbringing and trauma, childhood, childhood trauma, um, 
and, and you know how they were conditioned to look at themselves, who they are, um, who other people are, or you know what to expect from other people and the world in general. So there is definitely a psychological, a huge psychological element to this this diagnosis, to this presentation. And I think that's why I find it helpful that if you can start thinking of people as survivors of early trauma, then it's it's much easier to understand and explain and empathize uh, with people who exhibit very distressing symptoms. Sure, sure. Um, I, I, I'm going to quote a, um, um, someone called um, Dr. Bill Pettit. Uh, he's a psychiatrist in the US and he used to be my mentor. And I, I think I've quoted this, this, this in my um, booklet for Summers of Partnership Trust. And he, he says it very beautifully, not about personality disorder, but any diagnosis. He says that a diagnosis describes where you are, not who you are. And I think this is so important for people to get with any kind of labels, and especially if there is a label that they find stigmatizing, such as personality disorder, because it doesn't say anything about who they, who they truly are, but it's more about where they are. In, in, in the uh, life situation, with their circumstances, with what happened to them in the past and so on. Because, you know, we, we, I don't think, and I have seen a lot of this, um, people who are labeled personality disorder, it's not permanent. It, it changes depending on what's happening around them. Uh, and some, someone who had a label, for example, might have a really... Um, would settle time for a couple of years until something happens and then they sort of they might have what we call um, clinically call a relapse so there is something about what's happen happening around them and their own obviously their the way of um, regulating the emotions so to speak and I've heard it described as a bit like having emotional third degree burns all over your body um, it, is that how you would describe how it feels to have personality disorder to people who maybe struggle to understand what it's like from the inside. That's a really interesting way of uh, putting it. I, I didn't come across it before, Peter, so thank you for that. I, th I think what um, I met someone yesterday who said something like, it's so difficult to be me. And I thought, wow, how must, how must it be like to live like you know, and, and hate being me because it, it really caught my attention when this person said it's so hard to be me and I think there's only one way of ex expressing how it feels like to be living with um, not not being able to sort of be okay um, with with how they feel and their thoughts and emotions and behavior and a lot of people know that and they struggle with that but I think um, and I think people. Um, initially, when they are labelled with personality disorder, they think, "Thank goodness, now I know what. And now my behaviour makes sense." So they might feel a relief initially, but as time progresses, they might still they still struggle because, in terms of um, treatment for it, we know that medication is not the answer. Clearly, nice guidelines say that unless there is a comorbid diagnosis of some kind, medication is not going to do anything. In fact, I have seen very clearly in my own clinical practice how you know people might present with um, diagnosis of uh, personality disorder and we keep on adding medication but actually it's been more harm than good and and definitely psychological treatment is the mainstay uh, of um, of this diagnosis so so what i'm trying to say is 
people might feel very hopeless um, later on um, when they feel that um, they have tried you know, even some psychological therapy, but they're still not, you know, they're still not being feeling okay. And it's a really interesting one. I want to say more, but obviously I want to hear your and Andrew's thoughts about what I just said. I think that's really helpful, Rani. So looking at the NHS UK website, it says a person with personality disorder thinks, feels or behaves or relates to others very differently from the average person. And then it talks about several different types. But, you know, we're all different at times. And I suppose one way I would look at it is that whoever we are, we can be in tune or we can be out of tune. And when there's enough of us that's out of tune, or particularly if we've had various adverse experiences in the past that, that fill up our, our baggage pile or our, 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 our sink full of washing up, then it all overflows and we go badly out of tune and our behaviour um, can be really possibly that sometimes. And... Uh, I think we've all had little tantrums sometimes. We 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 revert to playground or childhood behaviour, not not that of the twenty-two-year-old or the forty-three-year-old or whatever we happen to be. And so it's it's reactive um, uh, ways of behaving to adverse circumstances when we're out of tune. That sounds a bit of a mouthful, actually. Peter, what do you think about what I've just said? <laughs> I, I think that's very reasonable, and it's. Uh, it's sad, isn't it, that so many of us uh, carry these things from our early youth that we we struggle with for the rest of our lives. Um, I'm interested, Rani, you, you mentioned about talking therapists, and I absolutely agree, and that, that's something I see, that people look for a simple pill, and it's not that simple. But the talking therapists really do work, don't they? But they're not the, the ordinary, we talked before about CBT and so on. But in, in this, you need slightly more specialised things, don't you? It, more acronyms, DBT and CAT and so on. Do you, want, do you want to tell us a little bit about the sort of talking therapies that really are effective for this condition? Well, um, the, the most widely you know, um, acclaimed or the most well-known is the DBT, which is the Dialectical Behaviour Therapy. Um, so, so, and I think anything to do with um, Mindfulness, you know, bring the person to acknowledge that uh, there is a problem and that that is a starting point. So looking inwards for the answer, so to speak. And uh, DBT has worked for a lot of people, but also some people even struggle with the whole structure of DBT um, because it's not something that uh, you just um, have a few sessions on. So I know the one we uh, offer in Somerset is a year-long DBT program, which is in group. Uh, in a group setting, and some people struggle with the group setting, for example, and they struggle with the sort of commitment. So I know, at least locally, we are, we also offer something called the emotional skills group, which is more of a um, a few sessions of a group just to look at the emotional uh, emotional aspect. I, I I don't know what exactly it is in the group what they offer, uh, but I know that some people some people might benefit, not everyone. And I think this is uh, this is something I wanted to say about why not it is not for everyone. If you, if you think about change, right? If you think about all of us and individuals, and you think about change and transformation, for someone to really benefit from any therapy, you know, be it DBT, be it emotional skills, be it even you know counseling of some kind, is that the person needs to be ready 
of CMS, as someone, they need to acknowledge that, okay, I do have a problem and I really want to uh, shift things. And, uh, and the real change happens from within. So um, the therapist, for example, can offer all sorts of techniques, um, tools and techniques. But at the end of the day, it is the therapeutic relationship um, that really can shift things. And also what the person sees for themselves, because once they wake up to the fact that this is not serving them, the behavior that they might have, that might have served them long time ago, and uh, that they did as a part of like a survival um, strategy, for example, a coping strategy, is no longer serving them, and suddenly they see a, a new perspective about life. Unless that happens, I don't think we will really see something change. Um, magically for anyone. So I think it's it's about a person being ready and also that, that therapeutic relationship and something, you know, they, them having a insight, what I call an insight, a cycle within, where they have an aha moment and things change, but obviously it might be gradual. Does it make sense? I think that's a really useful insight. And it's so easy, isn't it, to slip into these ways of, of acting that get us through day to day, but aren't actually the best ways to be. To, to use that physical analogy again, I've heard uh, patients describe uh, DBT as being like having a, a year of Joe Wick's high-intensity workouts. Very, very hard work, but worth it if you can get through it and persevere to the end. That's, that's nice. And other ways to help us get back in tune, uh, Rani, there's something about um, we are born with a level of, of resilience and ability and innate re resilience. And I know that this is something that you know a great deal about. And uh, there's an excellent booklet that's available on the web on the Somerset Recovery uh, website. I think it's somersetwlc.co.uk. Uh, and that's, um, it's called Dealing with Uncomfortable Thoughts and Feelings, a Self-Awareness Guide. Would that be helpful for people who have been thought to have personality disorder at all? Um, I think that's for anyone. And this is what I want to, um, to say about whether people have a diagnosis of personality disorder, whether people have no diagnosis, whether people have a diagnosis of affective disorder, it really doesn't matter. People are basically the same. You know, we talked about it. I, I think what really helps me in my work as a psychiatrist and also as a well-being coach is to rather than to look at a complex complex picture, you know, when you think of any labels, including personality disorder, we are thinking complex. We are thinking of all the behavior. We are looking at um, the nitty-gritty things and we are trying to um, you know, resolve all those for the person. And it can seem like hard work, especially if the person had uh, multiple trauma over the years or had, you know, has been through the system multiple times. So I really think there's something fundamental for everyone to look at. And it's about fundamental about being human and how, um, although on the surface, we all look different and we all have different symptoms or way of functioning and, and, and reacting and so on. At the core, human beings, we all have, you know, we all need to deal with emotions. You know, there are lots of stuff that we don't like. Even I don't like feeling stressed. And just an understanding of how it works for everyone, irrespective of the diagnosis, helps. So there's a long way to help people with the label of personality disorder and also other people without any diagnosis of any kind. 
That's really interesting. And I'm just, I've been looking at your booklet and there are, I love the three things that you wish to share. And I'll just read them out, if I may, because they're so, so beautiful. And then perhaps you can expand on them. So the three things that we'd like to share with you here are, firstly, the metaphor of the sky, your true self that never changes, and the weather, your ever-changing human experience. And the second thing is dealing with uncomfortable thoughts and feelings. And I, I, I love these all, but the third one particularly, you may be lost, but you're not broken. So would you like to help us a little bit on, on how this could help us in this situation? Thank you. Wow. I mean, that can be a very long topic. So I'll just keep it very, um, I'll keep it succinct. I think one of the things I hear working in NHS and in, in, with people with mental health um, issues is that people have come to this conclusion that they are somehow broken. And I also hear sometimes people saying things like, oh, that person um, you know, has a long, long history of having a trauma and their damage. And I am horrified when I hear that sort of thing. And I say, look, in a way, are we, are, are we sort of spreading something that like, rather than spreading hope, when we say someone is broken and we, and, and I don't know where people get it from, maybe because people have told them they're broken or they assume they're broken because after years and years of trying to fix their, their thoughts and feelings and emotions, they still feel that they haven't come, you know, it's still there, you know, they're still struggling. And so I think it's really important to go back to the core, the fundamental, you know, thing about who are we and are we really our labels? You know, because I in labels change all the time. Like I said already, it's not about who we are; it's where we are in life, depending on what happens, so on. So, so the more people know that yes, I get lost. I have been lost, world, no matter how many years. But the more they know that actually I have been lost, and my behavior has been because I have not been. You know, I I feel so lost, and I don't know where to go. For example, and the more they know that it has nothing to do with who they truly are their core essence, um, that's, that, that gives hope. And from that place of hope, and if the therapist or the practitioner also knows that for themselves, and they come from that place of being, being of service to someone, you know, we won't be sort of judging people so much. We won't be trying to fix them all the time. Of course, we need to do our role and, you know, do what we need to do. But that sort of grounding for the professional, for the practitioner, allows just not knowing the answer for the other person. And from that space, you know, that space of um, therapeutic uh, relationship or whatever you call it, we can have very empowering conversations, like coaching conversations, something that we don't normally talk about. And that's what like, I love about my work, by the way. That's what gives me meaning in mental health. Like I can have different conversations with people if they are willing to have that different conversation. I think your message that we're all basically the same and uh, we all get lost from time to time is a really powerful one and something I'll take away from today's conversation and something that's been a, a topic that we've talked about previously, isn't it, Andrew? We're, perhaps as we're getting to the end of time, we ought to give people uh, the message in Somerset about how they can get in touch, get help, because there's lots of help out there. I know at the CCG we've set up recently a new personality disorder uh, structure to help people with complex trauma. Do you want to say a little bit about uh, how people can get help, Rani? 
Thank you. Yes. Um, so the most exciting thing that's happening uh, in Somerset, obviously, um, is the recovery college. I know there are lots of uh, exciting things, but where I am involved is the Somerset Recovery College. And um, before we used to offer class, uh, classroom uh, courses around well-being, and now because of the COVID-19 situation, we have um, been able to just jump online and do lots of things online. So. For the listeners of this um, of, of this podcast, if you're interested, um, Andrew has already mentioned uh, um, the website address is somersetwlc.co.uk. If you go there and and if you happen to be a resident of Somerset, do um, it, it's open it's open for everyone. So you can register as a student. What you also find is that um, this, there's something called Moodle. So we are offering a lot of um, well-being courses, online courses for free for students at Moodle. Uh, I'm also um, going to record something around this booklet, by the way, Andrew. So I'm going to do a um, half an hour presentation expanding on this booklet about dealing with uh, uncomfortable thoughts and feelings and put it on Moodle. Um, so that's there. And people can also like our Facebook page called Somerset Wellbeing and Learning Community. And we have a private Facebook group if, we, if people are interested to have more um, support around well-being, but you have to be a student first in order to access the uh, private Facebook group. Thank you. And uh, excuse my ignorance and my uh, inability to understand tech, but does Moodle mean that you can access it at any time once you're registered, uh, or is it only when there's a course? Yes, no, there are. There will be some, we will be putting courses all the time there. And so these are not live courses. Some, some will be, but most of the time we will just record courses and put it out there. So people who become students and um, sign up for the, the online course, which is on Moodle, they will be able to access any, any course that's already there, pre-recorded. And am I right in thinking, Rani, that whether people go through courses or not, the natural history of personality disorder is that it does tend to become a little better with time and that if they do the courses they can become a lot better so it's it's a positive message would you would you agree yeah, absolutely i would say that whenever you know i but by the way i'm a psychiatrist i work in the nhs and i need to diagnose people give people some sort of diagnosis but i make it very clear right in the beginning that you know people these are only labels for communication. It's not who they truly are. And the, the labels and diagnosis to shift over time. But what needs to happen is for them to um, get curious about, about their well-being, their resilience, and, and be willing to have a different conversation about who they are. And then I point them to in this direction. And I know that people, um, people when they're ready, there's a saying, isn't there, that when the student is ready, the teacher appears. So the teacher is always there. So it's about the person saying, I had enough of living this life and I don't like it. So I'm going to look for whatever is going to help me in my, in my journey of recovery. So then all these um, resources are there available for them. You've given us some wonderful messages that I'll certainly carry with me. Uh, thank you. That's absolutely great to hear, uh, Rani. Thank you very much. And uh, there are some very practical things we can do in Somerset for our own mental health at any point. Uh, we're lucky enough to live amongst some beautiful uh, countryside. And so moving our physical bodies out in fresh air, if we can, gets endorphins and other, other neurochemicals moving, which are very helpful for us. Um, connecting with nature, connecting with other people, 
Uh, we haven't had a chance to mention peer support, but I know that we're going to be talking to a peer support group in a in a subsequent one, a subsequent podcast. And uh, I think laughter, hugs, exercise, and um, somebody wrote recently, chocolate. Ooh, oops, that last one just slipped out. They're, all of these can be very good for us and to help lift our mood and to just help us be more in tune. Uh, and we've mentioned before, but nature is very powerful to help us um, feel in tune with ourselves and get back to something very present, very deep uh, within us. We could. Maybe just on a sort of a, on a finishing note, we could each share something that we would say inspiring and helpful that we can suggest to anybody who's listening that, that might be useful that we particularly find helpful. What would you like to share, uh, Rani? What would you like to share, Peter? Something from your personal life that you find inspiring and helpful for you that, that, that works that you feel would be generalizable to many people. So for me... Uh, it's about practicing what I preach because I know that um, it's and, and I like what you said about nature just Andrew I think that's the bottom line when so whatever we look at for everyone it will be it, it will be a different thing for me it might be one day it might be playing with my dog another day it might be I don't know having a conversation like this because I love having these conversations but it comes down to um, basically being present in the now and, and suddenly realizing that sort of life is rich and it has so much to offer. But because we are, you know, up in our head, worrying about the past, you know, what happened in the past or worried about the future and not being present, we miss out on the gift of life, the, the richness of life. So I, I come back to my own teachings and, you know, what I've written in the booklet, for example, that works for me. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Peter. Well, I completely agree. It's about being in the now and, and different people have different ways of achieving that. For me, um, it, it's watching the, the ducks appear on the pond and uh, things like that. And also, on a, in a slightly different way, um, I'm a, a black belt in Shotokan karate. And that's a great way of keeping in you in the moment, because if your mind wanders, you tend to get hit on the nose. So that's <laughs> a really good way of uh, enforcing mindfulness. <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> Lovely. So it's it's really great to share time with you. So the Somerset Recovery College, as, as Rani has mentioned, is somersetwlc.co.uk. And there's a great booklet on there dealing with uncomfortable thoughts and feelings with a lot more rich material than we've had time to, to go over now. Um, just to mention again, in Somerset at the moment, as a completely separate service, we've got Mindline who are providing lots of support at times of challenge. And they're on 216 882. That's Taunton 01823 Rani, it's been really great to have you as our guest today. And Peter, thank you as always. Uh, and um, thank you very much. Good luck and go well. And good luck to all our listeners. Go well. Thank you. You've been listening to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast, hosted by Dr. Andrew Tresida and Dr. Peter Bagshaw. The show was created by David Seeley and was produced by Rob Hunt's Music on behalf of the Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group.